Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for December 9th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we hear from the 2021 Arkansas Farm Family of the Year, who was announced today. We also hear about the problems caused by snow geese and the unique opportunity one farmer has found in growing yellow peas. First, we hear from Steve Cobb of Cobb Lyerly Owens Partnership in Craighead County. The partnership was named the 2021 Arkansas Farm Family of the Year at a luncheon held today. Cobb describes what it felt like to receive the honor and what it means to he and his extended family. So we just found out that your family was selected as the Arkansas Farm Family of the Year for 2021. That's got to be an amazing feeling, uh, being a part of this program and finding out that your family uh, is the Farm Family of the Year. Yeah, it's uh, almost uh, hard to describe. Uh, you know, excitement, uh, proud, uh, yet there's a part of it that is uh, incredibly humbling to me uh, in that you think about the farms and all the and all the great farms I mean I'm, I'm surrounded by neighbors who, who in my opinion are tremendous farmers do a do a great job so many deserving and today during the program watch the uh, the other district winners and just the uniqueness of some of those farms and just how impressive they were uh, it, it, it's really humbling to uh, to be selected out of a group that seemed that outstanding to me and probably the part of it early on uh, back at the county level uh, when they asked us to do this and I was a little apprehensive uh, just because probably who I am and the way I go go about things uh, uh, the, the I guess the thing that they finally convinced me is uh, it's the family that we really want to, to, to get involved here. And, uh, you know, I will kind of stick my chest out and be proud of that. My family, my extended family, my children, my grandchildren, my farming partner, Darren Owens, who is an extension of my family, my, my grandchildren, and uh, my grandchildren really do not know the difference in me or Darren. They know I'm Papa or Poppy, depending on which one of them is that's talking to me, yet they know Darren fills the same role and he's just Darren. They don't exactly quite understand that. So, so your family has a, a very varied operation. You raise show pigs, you have row crops, You've started a, a new facet of your business where you're raising tomatoes and other produce indoors for year-round consumption by the local folks. Uh, is, is this honor something that's gonna encourage you to continue and expand uh, what you're doing or is it just gonna be business as normal next year? Well, I don't think it takes the honor, uh, and it is very much an honor, and uh, it doesn't take that to to get us to be stimulated to to want to do something new or to add or to to keep growing and learning and trying to do things. Our operation is is unique, uh, uh, very in the center of 
intense row crop production, yet we have the, the show pig operation, and I've been involved in pigs since I was in uh, 13 years old, back in 4-H, I got my, uh, got my first one, so over 50 years, really, that, that business and doing it on a nationwide, uh, I just, uh, uh, I just before we came in to do this, uh, uh, was speaking with Chip Blaylock, uh, who, and he says to me, you don't know this, but we have met before. I was at your farm with a judging team that Dr. John Mabry from the University of Georgia bought. He told me the year, and I, I actually remembered uh, uh, them coming by and us working out uh, judging. So you know, that's, that's neat, too. It's neat about farming. It's neat about what we do with our show operation is the people we meet and then as we get to, uh, get, to get reacquainted with them at different times. And you mentioned Chip. Let's kind of wrap it up by talking about you're going to be representing Arkansas uh, at the Southeastern. It'll be coming up not this year uh, in 2022, but the year after. Uh, do you look forward to being able to be that, that group of folks that are doing that? Yeah, that'll be great. I, uh, I don't think anyone in my... I, in my family has uh, been to the uh, Sunbelt uh, uh, Expo. I have in the past, and it's a it's a really neat show. So it'll be it'll be neat for uh, for them to get to have that experience and see that. And we are going to be a year delayed because of the COVID schedule, but I think most of us are getting used to that kind of thing by now. Uh, and yeah, that'll be a great opportunity. Congratulations for this big honor, Steve. And. Thank you for taking a few minutes to share with us uh, how your family feels about this. Thank you very much. Next, snow goose numbers have fallen over the past decade, but these unwelcome winter residents continue causing problems for farmers. Arkansas Game and Fish Commission Waterfowl Program Coordinator Luke Naylor talked with us about the ways to control these nuisance birds. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, it's my great pleasure to talk with Arkansas Waterfowl Program Coordinator, Luke Naylor. Luke, welcome to AgCast. Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. I know uh, you're actually on the road right now, headed to a, a meeting in Jonesboro uh, where you'll be talking to the public about waterfowl. Uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about all the geese we're seeing. They're starting to come back, and uh, folks... Uh, in some areas, probably this time of year, going to experience some problems because of geese. And we just want to talk a little bit about that and how geese can affect uh, particularly our farmers and, and what they should do if they do have problems. Yeah, there are definitely plenty of uh, plenty of geese coming down from there. Uh, a lot of them have made their move from their northern Arctic nesting grounds on down here and I've had white fronted geese in the state since October and, and uh, started to see a few more snow and Ross geese moving to the state as well. I'm seeing personally as I drive around the Delta in particular, it seems like exceptional numbers of white fronted geese this year. I know they've grown and grown and grown. Uh, uh, do we have any uh, evidence that this might be a, like a, a really big year for numbers of speckle bellies? Actually, it's uh, the only information we have actually is kind of the opposite. Um, white fronted geese, snow geese too, to some degree, 
um, by the best of our best of our knowledge, they're actually both groups of birds are on a multi-year population decline okay. across their range. Um, so, but the catch I always tell people is that they're they are on a massive, like a major population drop over the past five to fifteen years, and mostly due to some bust production years on, in the Arctic. So when they go out and just basically have very, very little production and a few of those years back to back to back have, have kind of led to this situation with the populations. Line. But we're still talking in a population that numbers in the millions. Right. So, you know, when we have maybe four or five million speckle bellies, let's say, um, and we get a ton of them come to Arkansas, you know, it's going to take a major, major, like an even more drastic population decline before anybody in Arkansas would notice uh, a, a decline just because so many of these geese come to Arkansas now. Right. So, um, yeah, they're on a decline, but but the numbers in Arkansas, uh, we're, we're still getting plenty of them. So Arkansas, does it rank pretty high in the number of the wintering birds, uh, snow geese and white fronts and so forth? Yeah, it does. We do surveys, our aerial surveys we do about three or four times a year, three times a year now are really geared for ducks. So we don't, they don't do a good job of counting geese. But if you look at harvest, but, but even with that, we have high numbers of geese in most of those surveys. And the harvest data really spells it out that, that there's Arkansas now makes up a very large percentage of the Mississippi and Central Flyway and even U.S. harvest of white fronted geese and and snow, lesser snow and Ross's geese, both during the regular season and during the conservation order. Uh, so we pretty much lead the charge now, top state in the Mississippi Flyway and in the country for for white fronted geese, mid-continent. Oh, I didn't know harvest. that. I, yeah, I remember yeah. uh, when I was back in college, way back in the olden days, back in the late 70s, I remember people coming from all over the state to just see a small group of white-fronted geese because back then they were so rare. And now we're the leading state in the whole flyway. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's literally gone from where we would have zero, zero geese in our midwinter waterfowl survey, zero white-fronted geese. And now it's and almost basically zero estimated in the harvest. Uh, to now we're we're well up in the tens of thousands in the harvest and hundreds of thousands in, in numbers of birds. So, for people who might not know, uh, when you have these huge flocks of birds, what type of damage can they cause on on farmlands? What are the major problems that might be seen? Most of them in the fall, they don't, they're not causing a lot of issues with, with active farming operations. They, they more often interact with uh, what people are doing, trying to manage their farms for ducks. And although I did hear um, a couple uh, examples this year of people who had not gotten rice out of the field yet and, and white fronted geese had kind of settled in and, and were, uh, maybe having their way with the standing rice crop, but that right. usually doesn't happen. They don't, they don't typically like um, tall cover like that. They don't, they don't really. They, they like having. They live on, on the tundra, so they like tundra environments like a harvested rice field or a, or a greened up bean field. So, um, but they'll occasionally get into it if they, if it times out where there's some late rice, and the geese are here. Uh, kind of all the stars align 
negatively for a farmer, uh, they can get in there and, and work on a standing crop. But a lot of times, most of the conversations we have with farmers here is that, man, I want to, I want to manage, keep this, this food, keep this, uh, resource, keep this field for ducks and the geese get in here early and, and they, you know, there's kind of perception. Some of it may be true that they, they kind of compete and exclude ducks or, or eat out all the resources before the ducks get here. Um, so people do different things, try to manage water, um, you know, maybe not flood, maybe roll later again, because geese like a like a more wide open environment. So there's different ways. A lot of farmers are trying to play around with with their fall management, post harvest treatments to discourage goose use, but still get ducks in there during duck season. And um, a lot of the more more direct damage can occur in the spring. Uh, you know, after duck season, February, March in winter wheat fields and that, that kind of really varies based on how much winter wheat is planted each year and right. you know it's kind of had some low years you know of winter wheat um but but the way the way white fronted geese and snow geese feed they can kind of actually kind of grub and, and kind of pull up roots they can do that sometimes in certain soil types uh it can be tough on a winter wheat crop if you uh, if you are a farmer and you get into that spring situation, uh, what's the best thing to do? Should folks uh, call y'all at Game and Fish, or do you have advice you can offer to them? Yeah, they can call us. They can call USDA Wildlife Services as well um, and get some advice on how to do it. Some we can use. Some people will get you know firecracker shells that you can fire at these birds and, and kind of harass them off of a of a winter wheat field. Um, you know, that there's, when snow geese are here, uh, in the spring and if they're on the winter wheat field, I always try to remind people that that's the whole time they're here, there is an open season on those birds. Right. So there's a conservation order in place. So if there are geese using a winter wheat field, um, really about the best thing you can do is have some, have some snow goose hunters come up and set up on that field for a few days and, and they'll usually you know, discourage that activity enough that the geese will move on. So, uh, but, you know, with, with these open seasons, hunters, you know, farmers can, can do whatever, right? They can shoot at, uh, attempt to shoot the geese off their fields as long as they're, they're registered for the conservation order, which isn't, isn't a big deal to do. So uh, most, you know, generally there's a lot of leeway for farmers. They don't need to be shooting at geese, killing geese, right? Directly right. trying to kill right. geese. That's, except as part of an open season. Uh, but, but there's also a lot of understanding that if these geese are causing problems, folks can implement some har- some harassment methods, you know, driving through a field, scaring geese out, um, firing shots, not with, without the intent to actually kill a bird. Right. Um, there's a lot that can be done and you're not going to get any group wildlife officers about any of that. Uh, but, well, it seems, too, that uh, in the past decade, goose hunting has grown a lot, too. You, you probably wouldn't have near as hard a time finding folks who might want to hunt as you would have a few years back. It's hugely popular now, uh, both in the fall and in the in February. And, yeah, there's generally, if there's, 
if there's geese on a the field, there's probably a goose hunter who's laid eyes on it. Absolutely. Probably looking, probably looking for the farmer <laughs> to get permission. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, that seems like a good answer to a lot of this is get out there during the hunting season and hunt and, uh, and offer that opportunity maybe to, to folks who hunt if you don't. Exactly. Yep. Do uh do Canada geese figure into any of this? They of course they're not near as numerous as snow geese or white fronts, but do they uh do they figure into goose problems in Arkansas? They can they can some. They're more of a year-round resident. Now they don't typically they're not out and about on a lot of winter wheat where areas where winter wheat has grown and Canada geese do they can grub, but they more they more often kind of clip grass um, like mowing your lawn so it doesn't really uproot an entire plant um, but they'll also be around there sometimes you hear every once in a while you hear a report of, of some some Canada geese coming out locally from a golf course pond or a city pond and or some ag reservoir and and hitting a, a pretty new soybean crop and kind of the same rules apply there you know you contact somebody at game and fish give us a call we'll help give you some recommendations generally it's going to be um, harass them as much as you possibly can make life difficult for them um, just just stop short of, of of trying to kill them that's what that's what's going to get you in trouble good um, advice but yeah just just harass them and you're not going to get a lot of grief from anybody but but you start saying you're harassing them and you got a, a pickup truck full of snow geese or Canada geese, you're probably going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we definitely don't want to encourage anybody to do anything outside of the law. There's plenty of ways to handle these problems within our game and fish regulations. Correct. And we're there to help. Call us up. We'll, we'll walk you through it. We'll have somebody come out there and look at the situation if, if that's the best course of action. And uh, folks can go to agfc.com. You'll find uh, – all the contact information you need there. And uh, Luke, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Season starts this weekend for ducks. Is that right? Uh, it sure does. It's bad dry, but there's going to be, there's going to be a few people have some good hunts, I imagine, but uh, well, we need rain. Yep. Well, let's all pray for rain and thank you for your help, Luke. We always uh, enjoy having you as a guest. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it. Finally, Matt Miles of Deshaies County shares some insight about his latest cover crop adventure, growing yellow peas as a cash crop. Yellow peas are used as a protein source in protein bars and many other packaged foods. So we've been talking about all things farming down here at, at Miles Farms, and you mentioned something to me that I thought was pretty interesting, and that was uh, a new crop you guys are going to try, yellow peas. Uh, so tell me a little bit about sort of the timing on it, the, what, why you're thinking about it. Tell, well, let's, let's back up. Tell me about yellow peas. Okay. What are they? <clears throat> well, now, and of course, this is our first year doing it, so I'm not an expert on it by, by no means. Yeah. <clears throat> I got a letter in the mail, and I'm not real sure why I got it, but it was from a company called Purus, mm-hmm. and they were, the letter basically explained that they have a crop they're wanting to grow, and it was yellow peas. Um, Kind of reading the letter, you could do the you could you could farm this crop and use your normal combine. Where we've tried peanuts before, and I think peanuts are great, but you got to have a separate combine. It's a complete separate uh, way of of farming. Mm-hmm. It's the same until it comes to harvest, and you can't take a 
where we take our, you know, one combine and go over three or four, five thousand acres, you know, a peanut combine would do three hundred. Mm. So, you know, that was that was fun, and 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 I'm not sure that we're through doing that or not. But when this yellow pea, when this letter come out on these yellow peas, we're always looking for something different to grow, to be more diversified. If of course if it make any money, mm-hmm. and also the cover crop piece. So we have we have a little trouble with cover crops because of fur irrigation. You know, your middles get stopped up. You know, when you're trying to plant, when you're coming back, try to plant with that cover crop there. You gotta have different equipment, you ball up, you you know, there's issues there. Mm-hmm. And so what I kinda got to looking at that is we can if we can make any kind of money at all, or even break even and and have a rotational value out of that yellow pea, which is the nitrogen piece, and use that as a cover crop, I mean there's a lot of different advantages there besides the ROI. Mm-hmm. So the the letter said, if you're interested, please contact us. So I did that. I get represented for the company to come down. Uh, we sat down and started talking about it. They, it. they basically take that yellow pea and, and use it as a protein isolate and are able to put that in different nutritional value foods, uh, you know, to increase the nutritional value. So so we're looking at a, you know, at a crop we can grow, edible crop. That's kind of fun. That's one thing I like about rice. You know, it's what we're growing is not going to an animal then to us, but it's going straight, straight as human consumption. So that's kind of cool. I, I like that. That that gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling as a farmer that you're providing food for, you know, for someone. Mm-hmm. So so that was kind of neat. And uh, the guy came down. We started looking at it. There's different ways you can grow them. You can grow them all season long. Uh, but when he when he came up with the idea that you know you can plant them in November and harvest them in March. I'm like, well, that's a perfect cover crop. You know, it's it's good for the environment. You know, through the cover crop ways, through through production of food, and also allows us to do more with less. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something we've got we've got to look at is 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 trying to do more with that acre. You know, than than what we're doing. So that way we get more production off that acre. Mm-hmm. instead of having to go clear more acres or, or cut down more trees or, you know, disturb our ecosystem, do more with that one acre. Right. Uh, we looked at beans behind corn. Uh, we did that one year to try to get more out of that acre. That's that's kind of the going thing now is what can we do to make that acre better. Mm-hmm. So looking at it in a, in a nutshell, there was a lot of different advantages from it. Um, don't know a lot about it. It's a legume, so it's gonna it's gonna raise a lot like soybeans, but yet it's gonna be in the winter. So you know there is some uh, you know some dangers there if we get a really late. Same with wheat. You know if we get a really late freeze when the wheat's you know in its re- reproductive stage or or you know milk stage or whatever, uh, we're gonna have that same dangers with uh, with the peas. But we have that same danger in any crop we grow actually. Uh, so. It, it was just something intriguing. You know, we're always looking for the next step if there's something we can do different. Uh, I don't have anybody to go talk to in my area because this will be the first time it's ever been done. Uh, there is some close. You know, I think there's some across the river in Mississippi. There's some in northeast Arkansas. Uh, so we're just going gonna to take 250 acres and, and plant yellow peas and, and uh, see how it comes out. You know, worst thing worst thing we can do is the worst risk there is the cost of the seed mm-hmm. and if it fails then you know basically we're going to spend some type of money on a cover crop anyway you know might not be quite the cost of the pea seed but you know the the, the loss 
the loss, the risk there for the reward is a lot more reward seems like than it is risk. So we, we're trying it. Now I'm thinking about edamame, which is a, you know, a, a sort of small vegetable uh, crop that it came into the state many mm-hmm. years ago. Um, and it's pretty time bound, you know, it's gotta be moved that it's grown in a specific area of the state, number one, because of the sandy, you know, soil. Right. Um, but it's, it's also pretty time bound. It's gotta be close. It's gotta be moved to that processing facility and flash frozen or, 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 or you know, processed right. within a certain amount of time. What's your, sort of your process, if you don't mind sharing, once you harvest these peas, where do they go? What are you going to do? They're almost, they're almost going to mirror a soybean. Okay. So we'll harvest the peas. We'll put them in our bin. We'll blow air on them. If they need if they need air for drying, we'll do that. If they're already dry, we'll just put them in there to store them and keep them cool. Uh, and then they will come pick those up and take them back to a plant in uh, southeast Iowa. Okay. So it's it's pretty good ways away. You know, and the closer we are to their plant, the better the money's going to be because of the freight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're getting hit with a pretty good freight charge mm-hmm. because we're so far. But they're wanting to see how these peas grow in, in the Delta. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think they, you know, especially in the winter, on the winter side, you know, our winters are so much milder than the winters in Iowa. And they've got a plant in South Dakota, too, and you know what the weather's like out there. So we may find a little niche here where we can, you know, make this thing work. What I'm hoping is maybe... At some point in time, you know, they move. If if this got big or worse, they move. You know, maybe there's a plant closer to us. You know. Yeah, I'm not asking you to predict the future, but one can't help but think about the peanut industry right. <laughs> in the eastern part of the state, northeastern part of the state, and guys start growing peanuts. A couple of facilities pop up all of a sudden. I mean, this almost could be an economic, de- in, in addition to all the benefits we talked about, almost an economic development play in the short term. Right. Of course, that's my hope. You know, yeah, I mean. I hope that someday, you know, if this works and it's successful, uh, research the company. The company seems top-notch. Yeah. I mean, good, honest people to, to, to grow for. Uh, so hopefully someday we're carrying them 50 miles or hopefully someday we're carrying them here in our own town. That would be great if we had a, a plant here in McGee, you know, as much industry as we're lacking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the goal. You know, the goal for me is that if this really worked, uh, you know, being able to, to have a different industry down here. Yeah. That's cool. Anything else about it you want to say? I really don't know enough about it right now to be able to say a lot about it other than we're excited. Uh, it's always exciting to grow and it's always exciting to step out of the box and do something different. Kind of like with our extreme ag group, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're always trying to step out there and try something. I had a buddy plant soybeans in December, and he's in middle in central Iowa. You know, it didn't work, but with the right weather, it could have worked. You know, mm-hmm. they lay there dormant. When the, when everything gets ready, they come up. Uh, you know, we're finding so many different things, like soybeans for in, in general. Now we're seeing where we need to be planting our soybeans before we plant our corn. You know, we grew up thinking you plant the corn first and then the soybeans in, in April or May. Well, we last year we planted March 16th. You know, so if this pea crop will work like like we're thinking it will, it'll be a, just another crop that we can grow in the winter, which will help improve the soil. You know, it should take care of some weeds. And a lot of the input costs that we would put in this pea, we would put in the the field anyway as a burn down application, a fall burn down or spring burn down. You know, the, the, the money we would spend on that burn down will now be spent on, on, you know, whatever we need to control the weeds and the peas 
which kind of works in the same scenario. So, and, but there's a cash crop on the other side right. of it, and, and so, the return back to the land. There's, I think, I think they say on the peas, it's one point five units of nitrogen per bushel of peas go back in the ground where soybeans one. So we're getting yeah. another fifty percent, you know, increase in nitrogen. Then we come back with a nitrogen using crop, say corn or cotton. Behind that, you know, there may be some some fertilized savings there too. Yeah. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more interviews and news about Arkansas agriculture.